0: Hey, folks, it's Dr. Sam, and I want to welcome you to another High Clarity Podcast. Uh, I have a very interesting show today. It's an interview I did recently with Dr. Blanco, who's a holistic veterinarian, and she and I have a very insightful conversation about how to take care of your pets holistically. So she touches on issues like vaccinations, uh, diet, homeopathy. It was a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. Hey folks, it's Dr. Sam and I want to invite you to join us today for an iClarity podcast. This is a special edition and I have um, a colleague who I'm going to be interviewing and I'm so excited to have her on the show. Her name is Dr. D. Blanco and she's a holistic vet specializing in homeopathy, nutraceuticals. Uh, On a personal level she has helped our animals, our dogs specifically, and um, she's just um, got a wealth of information and I thought I'd bring her on today and we could have a a really cool conversation in the field of holistic health and um, see where that goes. So Dee, welcome to the show. Uh, How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much, Sam. Really delighted to be here with you and all of your viewers and listeners. I know you've got quite a a following of awesome people, and uh, they're lucky to have you (laughs) guiding them in the holistic world of eye care and all kinds of other things you help them with. And I'm lucky to have you. You've helped me with my eyes, so we're mutual groupies of each other.
0: (laughs) That's right, and you know I get so many questions about animals, you know, because of my eye drops, and um, I. So now we have the source on here. You're the source. So um, why don't we start? If you if you would tell us a little bit how you kind of got into holistic uh, veterinary uh, doctoring? How did you? Oh sure. How'd you okay. get into it?
1: Well, it was early in my career, and I'm really grateful for that. But I got ill. And um, I had a divorce and I had physical symptoms, I had eczema, I was just quite a wreck. (laughs) And um, my partner Tom, who you know, uh, turned me on to a homeopath and um, that's when I knew what I wanted to do the rest of my life. I read one little book and said, that's it, that's what I want to do with animals. So I kind of left allopathy A lot of years ago, I've been practicing 39 years and I left allopathy about 33 years ago, something like that. So really most of my career has been holistic medicine, homeopathy, nutraceuticals, um, what you could call functional medicine. That's kind of the catch all now. Um, Various forms, some herbology. I'm I'm trained in Chinese medicine and I use it diagnostically, but I tend not to use the herbs because I have the homeopathy. So, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. and I, That's often the case, isn't it, with people that become um, caregivers or what you'd call healers, whatever that means. But it's often the case, right? You have something that injures you and then you become, you know, in order to heal yourself, you help others. So I find this to be the case with many people. That was my yes.
0: story. Yeah, yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. And uh, you're absolutely right. Um, a lot of people go through a health crisis and then they awaken. And um, then they get into a, a more holistic approach. So um, I guess what, one of my first questions that I'm burning to ask you is vaccinations and how we are conditioned to accept uh, the religion of vaccination. Yes. So um, now my audience is very liberal, so you don't have to hold back. Yay. Uh, you can just, you know, full disclosure here on vaccinations and what your perspective is on it.
1: Well, I guess I should first say I can't tell people what to do. Um, Sometimes I beg them (laughs) not to do vaccines if they have ill animals, but I've been known to get on a knee and beg them not to, but I'm joking about that. But, um, you know, as a medical practitioner, I can't really tell you what not to do. Uh, But in particular, really that only relates in human, I mean, excuse me, in animals to rabies because rabies is required by law. Now, do I think we need rabies vaccine or do I think the vaccines are safe and effective for rabies or any other vaccine? No. Do I think they harm your animals? Yes. Do I think rabies causes a lot of harm? The vaccine causes a lot of harm? Yes. So, you know, it's a big topic, it's broad and wide and I've studied it for the whole time. I've been a holistic practitioner. I think I've treated thousands and thousands of animals with vaccine injuries. Um, So, But it's hot right now because, of course, what they're talking about, COVID, they're talking about mandatory vaccines. And this is a very dark, dark thing, in my opinion, Uh, especially if it's mandated, and especially since they have never isolated the virus, the COVID supposed virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not testing for it. They're testing for RNA. And I heard something today, Sam, you'd be so interested. I've got to check it out. I haven't had time because I've had clients today. But I heard something that some somebody tested uh, fruit and something else, and the fruit came back positive COVID. So I know this is an area, I have gotten a complaint, I'm not an MD, and I am not, and I shouldn't be poisoning people. <laughs> but I'm a veterinarian, and I've studied the topic of vaccines. So I know a little bit about human stuff too. And I think it's really important that we really dissect the issues and dissect what's really happening there. And the same thing with animals. A lot of times people don't realize that the vaccines that they take their animal for um, when they get a card that says you're due to bring your dog or your cat in for its annual vaccine or it's every three year vaccines. The only one that's required by law is rabies. And the other ones are not required. And if you have an adult animal that's over six months old, that's considered adult, then your dog or cat or even your horse or whatever does not need those other vaccines. Many of the other vaccines, like Bordetella vaccine for dogs, is really poorly effective. So I would never give that. Lime is, uh, that's another one of those questionable uh, things. Um, sometimes we, we see people being convinced, I guess, that they have a need for these vaccines when really the animals just need to be brought back to health. They need to be nourished with good, really good quality food. They need to get detoxified. They need to have more exercise. They need to have nutrients that support the healing of the body. They don't need more vaccines because the vaccines really do contribute to a lot of these chronic ailments. Um, It's no different in children, you know, really.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a a conversation I have quite a bit with the autistic community and uh, the whole autism to ADD spectrum. Um, and vaccinations and how it affects us. Um, So what, in in your perspective, what's in the vaccine that you find to be most toxic? Oh,
1: well, the things, the most toxic, uh, let's see, carcinogens or heavy metals? Let's see. The heavy metals that particular in most vaccines are aluminum and mercury.
2: Mm-hmm. Aluminum
1: is something that stimulates the immune reaction, in particular, right, locally, because without aluminum, these vaccines don't stimulate enough of an allergic reaction or an antibody response. And so they put aluminum in practically every vaccine. The thing that they've taken out of many of the human vaccines is mercury, thimerosal. And that is a cheap preservative. So they've taken that out because, you know, some of the associations, Bobby Kennedy's group, a lot of other groups have fought against this. They've taken it out of a lot of the vaccines. But that doesn't mean that it's less toxic. Um, But in particular, um, really all animal vaccines, almost all animal vaccines still have mercury and aluminum. And those two combined, it's not like one and one equals two, one and one equals a nuclear bomb. They're both neurotoxic. So they can set off, you know, what I call brain on fire, brain on fire. So you talk about autism, and I just talked to a client today, and she said, you know, I almost think my dog has autism. And I said, I think your dog has autism. It just looks slightly different in little boys versus little dogs. But basically, it's a very, very similar syndrome. Um, The other thing is they often have formaldehyde in them, and that's a known carcinogen. There's other things that are carcinogens in there. But the other thing that causes, I think, a lot of problems, I mean, there's many, many chemicals that go in there. We won't go into all those details, but the other thing is foreign animal tissue. So it can be monkey kidney cells. It can be aborted human fetuses. It can be, um, uh, what are those little guys? Um, Ovaries from guinea pig ovary tissue. It can be eggs, egg yolks that they grow them on. And when those are put into the body, it doesn't matter if it's a human or if it's an animal body, but the body can react to it, trying to kill it, annihilate it. What are monkey kidney tissues doing in my body? So it'll create antibodies, it'll have inflammation, et cetera, et cetera. But then it can also attack its own kidney tissue. So then we have autoimmune diseases. And what we're seeing you know, since something like 1986, something like that, with the increase in the... In the vaccination number in children, autoimmune disease, all the chronic diseases, autism, you know, what is what is the rate of autism now? One in three boys or something? I mean, it's insane, right? And I don't I don't you know, the, the level of cancer in dogs is fifty percent now. Fifty percent of dogs have cancer, and younger and younger, you know. So same thing in children, right? We never saw children with cancer when we were growing up. We never saw asthma, right?
0: So what what do you think, uh, what kind of effect do these vaccinations have on the animals, on the dogs and cats?
1: Just the same as what we're talking about. You know, the first things we tend to see after they have those first vaccinations, the puppy vaccines, everybody says, well, I just give them the puppy vaccines and then I won't give them any more. But often that's the worst time because their immune system is not developed their nervous system's not developed, they're the most vulnerable. Their tissues are really vulnerable then. So giving vaccines at eight weeks or six weeks. But we often see the first thing we start to see is they'll have itchies Mm -hmm. or they'll have discharges or they'll have ear infections. And then often they'll go to the vet and they'll get some sort of a suppressive medication or even a steroid or antibiotics or an antihistamine. And then maybe the body will resolve that and they'll be okay for a few months. And then they go back in for their yearly vaccine and then it'll ramp it up so that what you see over the course of time is the chronic ailments just get worse and worse as they get older and older. And then they can hit like six years or eight years. It's getting younger and younger now where they'll come down with cancer or some autoimmune disease, um, autoimmune hemolytic anemia, um, you know. And so animals aren't living longer. Mm-hmm. They're shorter lives with more chronic ailments. Not just hip dysplasia, but you know, very sad, sad conditions.
0: And about the food, let's talk about you know the, the commercial pet food that's out there uh, versus what you promote in a pet's diet.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that's another industry that has just gone off the deep end. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, more and more people are becoming aware, you know, because, you know, people like you and me have been talking about these things for decades now. But um, yeah, that industry really had, has very little, I want to say, control, I guess, because many of the foods that are unfit for human consumption, that are, that are rancid. And um, decomposing will be sent, of course, to rendering for animal food. So it's mixed up, and of course, it's it's put in these big vats. It's superheated, so it cre- and And there's starches in there, like a lot of the rancid um, grains that aren't, you know, that are that are uh, sent from, um, you know, over either oversupplied sources or whatever. They're not used for humans then they as they're heated up they can create carcinogenic compounds and uh, as well as you know they will put animals that have been um, euthanized so phenobarbital has been found you know this was a big scare a few years ago so and it doesn't matter it just seems to continue you have to be very careful and even when you find foods that say human grade well, human grade at this point is not great because they're feeding so many GMO products um, to these commercial the CAFCO operations, factory farm operations, which many people eat meats from those operations or, or dairy or eggs. So then what happens is these GMO foods, of course, have um, a lot of glyphosate on them. And that goes into the tissues of the animal. So it's still, even if you're using human grade, you're still getting glyphosate, which is a deathly poison.
0: Sure, sure. You actually wrote a very uh, interesting blog um, on glyphosate. And, uh, you know, I'm involved in this one uh, group called Non-Toxic Neighborhoods. And uh, these folks are trying to get rid of the pesticides in the parks. And awesome. for the children, the soccer fields, the golf courses yes um, you know all of the all of the green areas. So um, I know we're kind of uh, this is kind of a controversial subject, but um, could you speak a little bit about glyphosate and how it affects our intestinal health, especially in the in the pet families
1: Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I have to coach my clients. You know, if you go to the parks, you have to call and find out what they're spraying and when they spray. But even at that, you know, the residuals on glyphosate are really long, something like 23 years or something like that. And so, yeah, it's ridiculous. But um, glyphosate, we call it glyphosate. And I think it's probably one of the most deadly things on the planet right now, but it can, it, it, um, it basically destroys the, the tight junctions in yeah. the gut, the very thin one cell layer thickness in the lining of the gut. And it destroys those, opens them so that we uh, then are, because the gut is our, our window to the world, right? The whole, the tube from, the, from yeah. the mouth all the way to the anus, it's our opening to the world. Sure. And so everything, and that's why a lot of our immune system is there. Right. Because we have to deal with whatever we imbibe, we drink, we, you know, so when you when you when those tight junctions aren't there to protect us, you can get large proteins, unbroken down food or even uh, parasites, et cetera, et cetera, can get entry into the bloodstream. So that's one of the most important things that it does is it it allows penetration into the to the bloodstream, causing leaky gut.
0: I've often wondered this whole COVID virus. You know, people's immune system is so whacked out, uh, and part of it is this yes. the glyphosate that's everywhere. Yes. You know, Yes. it's one of the, the issues yes. that, um, yeah, that we're talking well, about. you
1: right. know, um, you know, Sam um, Stephanie Seneff, the yeah. the doctor who's done so much amazing work in her lab on glyphosate, Um, she and Daniel Samets. Um, And he tested a lot of dog and cat food. He did some good good testing. And a lot of the commercial ones, the big names, they loaded with glyphosate. He tested some vaccines. They have glyphosate because they have animal tissue in them. So you think you're like getting – I mean, it's just everywhere. But anyway, what she says, too, that I thought was good is all these biodiesel fuels – Biofuel, biofuels. Sorry, that's what I want to say. Where they're burning GMO, um, they're right. They're they're all GMO corn and other whatever materials they're using, so that when when you're putting it in your car, then the glyphosate is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's in the exhaust. I guess is what I want to say. So we're breathing in glyphosate that way as well. I thought that was a really good point that she came up with. Oh my god. So. Um
0: what I would like to, if you could give us kind of a little capsule of uh, my community is really into holistic health and there are not too many people like you on the planet. So what would you say to these pet owners that go, you know, I don't want to buy this commercial food. I don't want to get my, my animals uh, vaccinated. How do I navigate this uh, situation? I want to be proactive. I want my animal to live a long, healthy life and not get cancer. Uh, what, 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 how can you kind of help people uh, who yeah. are listening?
1: Yeah. Well, the first thing is, I have two words, opt out. <laughs> opt out of everything you possibly can. That like, is, trust yourself. That's the other thing. If you have hesitancies about something, trust yourself, just take a break, you know, if it's a, if it, I always has, I have this thing I call the green light, red light, you know, if it's a green light, and it feels good in your body, right, then go for it. If it's a red light, stop. If it's a yellow light, go and research, you know, because it usually (laughs) means stop. But trust yourself, because you don't have to be a doctor to figure out these things. You just trust your mommy, daddy instincts. You know, these are your pet children, right? But basically, you opt out of that, and then you find resources and ways to get educated. I'm going to be doing a series of webinars ongoing, kind of like you're doing. You've kind of coached me, Sam. You've helped me. And I've done them for our Dogs Naturally magazine for years and stuff. But I'm going to be doing them slightly differently and um, and to help people, to coach people. As I do less clinical work, I'll be doing more educational work. So, yeah, find resources. Be careful you know what you find. But, um, the foundation it's always the foundation right if you if you spend your money on food what's that expression pay the butcher or pay the doctor right you know so so spend your money on food and if you're home now start making some food for your animals you know just start experimenting there's recipes i have recipes if you write me i'll i'll send you a recipe you know start playing with it you guys cook at your house for magic and you're doing an amazing jobs there And it's kind of fun, you know? It's interesting to experiment, isn't it?
0: Well, um, well, let me just say, um, for the listeners, I'm speaking with Dr. D. Blanco, and she's a holistic veterinarian specializing in homeopathy and nutraceuticals. And you can contact her on her website, drdblanco.com, or through email, d at drdblanco.com. She has uh, webinars on her website and classes and um, she, um, she's just an amazing person uh, and, a, and a, just a fabulous resource, you know, personally for our dog, who's uh, 13 and a half, who's still kicking. And I think if we had done vaccinations and regular pet food, our dog would have died four or five years ago. And uh, yes, we... We do cook our own food for our dog and she loves it and mm-hmm. all the different recipes and then the homeopathy uh, that, that Dee is prescribed. Let's talk a little bit about your love of homeopathy and, you know, how you, how you work with it with the animals.
1: Well, sometimes it's a challenge because yeah, <laughs> they can't tell me, you know, my left shoulder hurts when I move it this way. And it feels like somebody's stabbing me, you know, versus my left shoulder aches and it feels better when I run. You know, there's, they can't really (laughs) tell. So I have to ask you, the mommy, daddy, I have to ask a lot of questions. And I think also, you know, what's happened is I've developed more of my intuition, you know, for kind of tuning into the state of the animal. But um, there's also, a development of how to ask questions and where to probe to find out what seems to be the most important thing to talk about that day, and but it but what I do is what's called constitutional prescribing, classical therapy, classical homeopathy, and it's kind of like uh, playing a classical instrument. You know, I'm kind of trained in the old school, and we usually use one remedy at a time. It doesn't matter if it's acute or if it's um, a chronic long-term kind of condition. And I just try to ask as many questions as I can. I send a three-page health questionnaire with lots of questions on it. And then I delve deep into the specifics of what might be going on. I have people send me video and they send me all their labs, all their x-rays, You know, anything else they've got from their regular veterinarian. I look at those things all day long. But I also try to delve into, okay, what's really going on? And of course, I always try to incorporate, if, something, if somebody wants to, me to know this, what is happening in their house? I'm seeing a lot of animals really suffering right now, a lot of anxiety because their pet parents are really anxious. And um, yeah, they're glad they're home more, but there's also a lot of anxiety you know, that they're picking up on. So that's basically how it is. And then I find it's like putting a big jigsaw puzzle together and those pieces come together and then I look back and I see the jigsaw puzzle and I say, oh, that's a picture of the Eiffel Tower. Or, you know, in in my case, I look back and I say, oh, that's a picture of homeopathic sulfur or arsenicum album. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of come up with that. And you just learn this over the course of time what those remedy states are, what those picture states are. Sure. Yeah.
0: So if uh, if somebody has to go to their veterinarian, and let's say they're not as open-minded as you are, uh, how do you counsel them to navigate the veterinarian system?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. Because a lot of times I think I am kind of a liaison for them. and I And I just kind of coach them and tell them, here's here's what you need to get done. But I'm not there hands on. So you need to pay attention to what the vet is saying. Make sure you take lots of notes. Make sure you walk out with any diagnostics. Mm-hmm. And if you have a hesitancy, if you have that yellow light, then you say, thank you so much. I'm going to get back with you. Remember, your vet works for you. You're paying them. You don't, You don't just because they have a white coat on doesn't mean you have to take everything that's said there as mm-hmm. what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to get that kind of remember what they're there for. Um, and so I often tell them they're very good at diagnostics, very good at surgery, but chronic long-term therapy, no. Um, so, and that's why a lot of people come to me. Although I can tell you, you know, they also come for emergencies. You know, acute emergencies, homeopathy is brilliant for that kind of thing. So you may need, you know, I had a woman call me today. She's from your neck of the woods and she needed, she had her cat came in and something happened overnight. He's totally listless. Well, I want her to take him into the vet, you know, do not hesitate. She shouldn't have even called me. She should have just gone in. Mm -hmm. And then, but I, but once we figure out what's going on, I can help with remedies too. So there is a dance there, right?
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, you I've seen it again in practice when we've had to go to the regular vet, and then you're supportive in the homeopathy and nutraceuticals. And the animal just gets better uh, a lot quicker by adding your piece to the puzzle. And people don't have to do everything their their veterinarian says. And I love that, you know, red, green, yellow light, and really trust your intuition. So um
1: you like the so, colors? Do you like those colors, yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> Dr. Eyes? <I's>. Color therapy. <laughs> right. um, so we have a few minutes left, and I I wanted to ask this question around, um, of course, epidemics. Of course, we're in one right now, pandemic, and homeopathy. And where does homeopathy fit into uh, COVID-19 or these other pandemics that, that uh, we may be experiencing?
1: Yeah. Well, it's great you asked that. I actually did a webinar um, a few weeks ago, specifically on homeopathy in pandemics, epidemics, and it's been used um, for uh, over 150 years. So it's been used in cholera. It's been used in it's been used all over the world in epidemics. It's been used. One of the most interesting ones is the epidemic that occurred in 1970 something in, in Cuba. And they had a listeria outbreak after um, some major hurricanes. Um, and uh, the, the pharmacy then that was making vaccinations, they ran out. They weren't able to keep up with the number of people that were coming down with listeria, which is a bacterial infection. And um, they had to, they turned over. They said, okay, we're going to try making homeopathy. And there's film footage of them doing this in these succussing and making the remedies and they dosed it to millions of people and they're doing that again now they're using the homeopathic preparation as a preventative so a lot of these companies that in my mind they don't have as much pharma influence as we do but it has a huge history during polio epidemics in argentina millions dosed um uh in russia for cholera yellow fever in new orleans you know huge huge um uh, history. But right now, all over the world, there, there, there are homeopaths conversing and talking. There's every single day I'm getting an email about a new uh, Zoom meeting or some sort of a comp, you know a collective. People are getting together, sharing information about what remedies they're using um, and how what kind of success they're using. And then there's something called a nozode, which is a homeopathic preparation that's um, preventative. And they are starting to use that um, in various places. Um, so, no, it's uh, it's got, in fact, it's very difficult to get homeopathic kits. And sometimes the pharmacies are running out, they're running behind, they're working overtime, which is great for homeopathy because people are really seeing the value of it. Um, it's having a resurgence all around the world.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that we are in a great position because allopathic medicine just is not doing the job and they haven't been for a long time and there's Mm -hmm. some things they're they're proficient at but anybody that's in the holistic healing, natural medicine and devoted to it like you and I are, um, we're going to be called to come forward Mm -hmm. in resources and it's not going to come from big pharma, it's not going to come from the government, it's going to come from the people and That's uh, and, uh, that's the trend that I'm seeing more and more, and so um, I, uh, I'm just so grateful to know you, and um, I'm going to be promoting you even more, uh,
1: oh, and so, so
0: um, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I want to give uh, resources, again, if you want to get in touch with uh, D. her website is drdblanco.com, Blanco, and email is d at drdblanco.com. She does webinars, classes, some uh, private consultations. And um, I know we will we'll do this again. So Great. Love thank to. You, thank you so okay. much for creating right. you today.
1: You're and welcome. Namaste. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Big hugs.
2: You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsamburn.com. The Burn Method is a trademark signature of Dr. Sam Byrne for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Byrne's information is only his personal opinion. If you have any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.